I remember hearing years ago about a uh, traveling vacuum cleaner salesman. Now, I didn't do it for very long, and I don't know whether it'll help my um, image for you, but I was at one point a vacuum cleaner salesman. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it, and uh, I thought they charged too much, so I didn't do it very long. But um, I remember hearing about this one salesman. He was very convincing, a little bit pushy, but uh, he you know, was making his way through this town and selling vacuum cleaners right and left, and he had something where he'd go in and kind of push his way in the door, and he'd go in and he'd say, he'd put a pile of dirt on the floor, and of course that would horrify the people of the home. He'd say, this vacuum cleaner, Electrolux or whatever it was, it's going to vacuum every bit of that, and if it doesn't, I will eat it with a spoon. And so after he got done going through the city, he started to go out in the rural areas and he was knocking on doors and, and selling vacuum cleaners. He came to his one farmer's house and the lady kind of looked through the screen door and he pretty much got his foot in the door and forced his way in and, and she was nice, but she was shaking her head and, and he said, ma'am, I can just promise you right now that this vacuum cleaner is unlike anything you've ever seen before and it is gonna, it'll vacuum up everything. And he took his little pile of dirt that he kept with him and he dumped it on her carpet and he said, this vacuum cleaner is gonna vacuum up every bit of that. If it doesn't, I'll eat it with a spoon. She put her hands on her hips and turned and walked away. He says, ma'am, really, it will. She said, no, I believe you. She said, I'm going to the kitchen to get a spoon because we ain't got no power in these parts. <laughs> We ain't got no power in these parts. You wonder how many churches out there um, are doing all kinds of things that churches do completely void of the Holy Spirit. You can go through all kinds of motions. You know, I've heard about churches that uh, have meetings and they cancel an evangelistic project because they say that, well, we don't have enough money. Or they cancel a program because they don't have uh, enough people or they'll cancel something because they say we just don't have the facilities but I've never yet heard a church cancel anything because they say we don't have the Holy Spirit because we'll try and do all kinds of things without the Holy Spirit you know the early church was told don't do anything without the Holy Spirit Jesus said wait in Jerusalem until you receive power on high but I wonder how many times churches go through the motions of playing church and we are spiritless. And we could say with that woman, we ain't got no power in these parts. We need to know how to receive the Holy Spirit. And our message today is part two, began last week, uh, and dealing with our need of the Holy Spirit. Now, something I always am uh, a little reluctant to tell people because they misunderstand and become very nervous is about the unpardonable sin. I can't tell you how many times we've had phone calls at our radio program and people are wondering, Pastor Doug, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. And if a person thinks that, they're inclined to give up. And they may not have committed the sin and the devil wants them to think they've committed the unpardonable sin. It is called in the Bible the most serious offense. Let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 12 verse 31. Therefore I say to you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Now, you know, that's the part I think we ought to emphasize. All manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. God forgives all kinds of sin. You can't even conjure up in your mind a particular sin without thinking of somebody you know that's been forgiven of that. God is a very forgiving God. 
all manner of sin will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Jesus is so kind and meek and merciful. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, neither in this age or in the age to come. Not in this life or in the judgment, that means. Then you've got a parallel verse that troubles people. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, meaning the Spirit, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now here, Paul, who I believe wrote Hebrews, is saying, when a person has all the best that God has to offer, if they turn away from all the best, what else is God going to pull out of his bag? And so they've had the fullness of the Spirit, they've tasted the world to come, they've had all the best, if they turn away from that, what else can you use to entice them? If you turn away from Jesus and his love on the cross, what else can you use? And you know, it is encouraging also to remember that Hebrews said, for it is impossible it's impossible for men, but all things are possible with God. This verse is not saying that a person cannot backslide and then come back to the Lord, because don't you have stories where you know people have? Or don't we have a parable about the prodigal son who was in the father's house and had all the blessings of the father and he walked away from it? And so this is not saying a person uh, cannot be redeemed. It's saying if you turn away from the best that God has to offer and you persist in this, what else is God going to offer you? Again, one other passage that may be referring to the unpardonable sin. Have you read before 1 John 5.16? There is a sin leading to death, and I do not say you should pray about that. And everyone wonders, what sin is it that we should not pray about? It's talking about praying for others who have sinned. Well, obviously, the only sin that can't be forgiven would be the only sin you shouldn't pray for, because it's unforgivable. So what is the unpardonable sin? What is the sin that cannot be forgiven? If, you know, God is so patient. And sometimes we presume on the patience of God. He works with us. He convicts us. He forgives us. But we keep turning back. And we think, well, I've got a lot of time. I've got a lot of life. And little by little over the years, we can get where we develop a callus on our spiritual ear. We don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. The volume has gotten dim. We lose the ability to be convicted because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the gift to repent. And if we continue to procrastinate humbling ourselves and surrendering to the Lord, you can reach the point of no return. Now, while we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm done talking about that other issue. And, and, uh, I just want you to know you don't want to toy with the Holy Spirit when He's speaking to you. Don't want to grieve away the Spirit. Uh, but where there's life, there's hope. And if you're still being convicted, there's hope for you. I always think it's odd when some, you know, 15-year-old comes to me and says, Pastor Doug, I think I've grieved away the Holy Spirit. And uh, we just baptized a 90-year-old lady. God's really patient, so... <laughs> But don't, don't push the, the uh, envelope on what that uh, degree is. Amen? 
Now the Holy Spirit comes in different degrees. Was Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit when he was uh, 30 years of age? Yes, he was anointed. Did Jesus not have the Holy Spirit before his baptism? That's a double negative, isn't it? Yes, he did have the Holy Spirit. Uh, before a person's baptized in the Spirit, isn't it the Holy Spirit that brings them conviction? That gives them comfort when they repent and turn to the Lord? And they may not have been baptized yet. So you can have varying degrees. Now the Holy Spirit's a person. Can you have a varying degree of relationship with somebody? You might know the name of the clerk at the drugstore. Hopefully you don't know his name as well as you know your husband. Unless the clerk is your husband. There are varying degrees of knowing people, right? And um, in the same way there are varying fillings of the Holy Spirit. And so you may have the Spirit in your life, you may have had the Spirit in your life working with you for years, but the Bible says that we have the privilege of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if I go, I will send the Comforter. Did He go? He's not retracted His promise. The promise being filled with the Holy Spirit is available. Now individuals can be filled and groups can be filled. I can show you both examples in the Bible, but I think that uh, you'll take my word for it. You've got in the Bible, the Holy Spirit came on Samson, on David, on Othniel, on Gideon, on many other Bible characters. And these are just the Old Testament ones. Holy Spirit moved in the Old Testament. But you see special evidence of the Holy Spirit in the New. By the way, you might be interested to know Luke probably says more about the Holy Spirit than Matthew, Mark, and John. And if you read in Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts, Luke walked with Paul. He saw the manifestation of the Spirit so many times. So it, it comes in different degrees. John 3.34 For he whom the Father has sent speaks the words of God and God does not give the Spirit to him by measure. Jesus received the Holy Spirit without measure. Acts 41 Oh wait, I want to go back and read something to you. If you look in John chapter 20 in the upper room, Jesus says this and it says He breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. Any of you ever see there was an evangelist on TV that used to blow on people and that all fall down? He's kind of famous for that. I guess he used this as his verse for that. But um, Jesus breathed on them. Now was this Pentecost? This is the upper room. He breathed on them. What happened at Pentecost? It says they prayed the place where she can it was like a mighty wind. And so it's a difference between a breath and a wind. That's varying degrees, right? Alright. Something else. We're just talking about some of the particulars about the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit has different facets. We know there are different gifts of the Spirit. Have you read, for instance, in Revelation, it says it four times. Revelation 1-4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits that are before His throne. You ever wondered, one of the seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. One is God three and the Holy Spirit then is divided in seven additional persons of the Godhead and what does that add up to? What does it mean the seven spirits of God? Best answer I have is talking about seven facets of the Holy Spirit. Ways the Holy Spirit manifests Himself. Here's an example. Look in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. It's not on your screen. I'm still trusting you. Use your Bibles. Isaiah 11 1. Because you'll need to look at this one. Underline this on your iPhone. 
It says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch will grow out of his roots. Who's that talking about? Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Spirit of counsel. Might. I've only got five fingers on that hand. Spirit of knowledge. Fear of the Lord. Those are seven different attributes, if you include the Spirit of the Lord as one of them, that it gives for the Holy Spirit. And so when you pray, the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God wisdom. Wisdom is one of these things, isn't it? Spirit of wisdom. And so there are different facets to the Spirit of God, and that's why you'll sometimes hear it referred to as the seven spirits of God. Something else I thought was interesting. God the Spirit works with an individual and the way that God gives the gifts, it's God in that individual may manifest itself in a unique way. For instance, you know, the Bible talks about the spirit of Moses and Elijah and the apostles. Now it's interesting. God said he would take the spirit of Moses and give it to others. Did Moses have his own copyright brand of the Holy Spirit? Look at this, Numbers 11, 16. So the Lord says to Moses, Gather to me seventy men from the elders of Israel, and I will take the spirit that is on you, and I will put the same on them. And they will bear the burden of the people, that you may not bear it alone. The spirit of administration and judgment and leadership that God had given through the Holy Spirit to Moses, he would then take and give to these seventy elders. And you see it take place in verse 25. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took the spirit that was on him, Moses, and placed the same on the 70 elders. Interesting that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the 12 apostles and to the 70 disciples that went out teaching for him because they saw the Holy Spirit work through them and there were miracles that were done. Moses had 12 princes and 70 elders. Jesus had 12 apostles and 70 disciples. It's kind of interesting, huh? Look, for instance, in uh, something else I want you to notice. It says, after the Holy Spirit came on the 70 elders, the Spirit rested on them, and they prophesied. That's going to come up later. The Holy Spirit came on, came on King Saul. Know what it says? 1 Samuel 19, 23. For he, King Saul, he went there to Naoth and Ramah to see Samuel. The Spirit of God was on him also, and he went and he prophesied. 2 Kings 2.15 Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they saw Elisha, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. You remember what Elijah said? Ask what you will. Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And so they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. What was the prophecy about John the Baptist? He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now what does that mean? Why does it say the spirit of Elijah? Did, you know, Elijah, like I say, have his own copyright brand of the spirit? Well, the message of Elijah was a message of the prophets. It was one of revival. The message of Moses was a message more of the law. What two individuals appear to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. And the apostles were there. And you know, the Lord take the spirit of Jesus, he put it on the apostles, and the spirit of the apostles went on the church. And there's something that the spirit seems to be transferred. Now the spirit comes from God, but often it comes through one praying for another. Look for instance, um, 
If you go to Acts 19, verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Do you know that when um, Peter went up to Samaria, the people had been baptized, but he laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them? You know, Hebrews even talks about a doctrine of the laying on of hands. You don't hear much about that. But the Holy Spirit, when someone was filled with the Spirit, they could place their hands on someone else, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit when they prayed for them. And it was almost like God wanted us to be involved in sharing truth with others, and so we had a part to play in that. We need the Holy Spirit for guidance. Now, don't forget what I said about uh, them being filled with the Spirit and prophesying. That'll come up later. We need the Spirit for guidance. Acts 13.4 So being sent out by the Holy Spirit they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Holy Spirit sent them out. You ever been impressed to go somewhere by the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you a quick story. I was doing meetings up in uh, Paradise years ago. Uh, Lonnie Milashenko was the pastor up there and we were doing evangelism but I liked going home and even though it was three hours across Mendocino Pass Mountain, dirt roads 50 miles, I decided I want to go home. So I knew it was, winter wasn't quite over, so, uh, spring wasn't quite over, and I thought there's probably snow still blocking that mountain. You can't get through when there's snow. I thought, but I really want to go. And my logic said, you don't want to do that now. The pass is not open. But I kept thinking, take that road. And I just felt led to take that road. And I thought, this is the dumbest thing in the world. You're going to have to turn around. So I drove all the way up the Mendocino Pass Road. Pretty soon, sure enough, I ran into snow. But I saw tire tracks in the snow. I said, well, maybe somebody made it through. So I kept following. I mean, way back, kept going and going and going. It's dark. It's after an evangelistic meeting. It's just like midnight. And now the snow's getting really deep. So I put my truck in four-wheel drive, and I'm going, I'm going. Now I'm like pushing snow. I'm bare. I said, I'm never going to make it. But I said, someone's up there. I see tire tracks. And so I kept going, and pretty soon I came to a little, like a Datsun pickup truck, this German tourist had looked at a map and he was trying to get to Highway 101 and he saw a road. And so he tried to get across. He didn't know how big those mountains were or how deep the snow was. He had been stuck there for like three days in the snow trying to get himself out. And the Lord sent me up there to tow him out and I was able to get him back on the ground uh, where he could drive his way out and I knew it was the Holy Spirit that guided me. I didn't realize it until afterward. Now how many times have you not known that Spirit was guiding you until afterward? I was just visiting with a member here. I won't tell all the particulars but I saw one of their relatives yesterday at a store and we had a conversation and they said the Holy Spirit arranged that. I didn't know I was supposed to go to that electronic store under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I thought I was getting a widget while I was there. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit told me to get that part from my phone. The Holy Spirit guides you. If you commit your way to the Lord, He guides you. We need the Holy Spirit for witnessing. Now this is really where this message, uh, I think, is the most important. If you look in Acts chapter 1, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How are we successful witnesses? Through the Holy Spirit. Is it possible that you have ever tried to witness without the Holy Spirit? 
Can a pastor stand up in front of a church and just make the whole congregation feel guilty that they're not doing more soul winning and they'll go out and they'll try to do soul winning because they think they're supposed to do it but they don't have the spirit. So would you rather have training and no spirit or spirit and no training? So what's the most important thing if we're going to be a church of witnesses? We'd be praying for the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, on you and you'll be my witnesses. The first thing, the New Testament be, begins talking about this power that would come through Christ. John said, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after I is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Before the children of Israel could get into the promised land, they were baptized in water as they went through the Red Sea. That's 1 Corinthians 10. And they were baptized in fire as this pillar of fire came in the camp. So they had a water baptism and they had a fire baptism. And then they eventually went to the promised land. We need both baptisms. You know, Jesus said that unless you are born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So the way that God works in our lives with the gifts of the Spirit is He fills us. Corey Ten Boom used to share an illustration. She'd walk in front of people when she gave her little spiritual talks and she'd hold a, a glove. She'd say, I got a glove here in my hand. It's a nice leather glove. Of course, a glove doesn't do anything until I put my hand in it. Once I put my hand in it and I fill every finger of the glove with my hand, I can do all kinds of things with the glove. But the glove doesn't do anything until the power of the hand is in the glove. We can't really do anything for God until the power of the Spirit fills us in our lives. And He wants to do that. Now, this next thing is very precious to me. I don't hear very many pastors or evangelists talking about it, but I think it's biblical. One of the things the Holy Spirit will do for you is He will give you audacity, better known as boldness. If you've got the Holy Spirit and you have a knowledge of the Bible but you're afraid to say anything to anybody, nobody's going to know. The early church realized boldness was important. Now what does bold mean? Fearless, brave, daring, and courageous. What did God say to Joshua before he tried to enter the promised land? Be courageous, be courageous, be very courageous. You need courage to be a Christian. Peter Marshall, who is a great preacher, he once said uh, in his vivid style, 20th century Christians are like deep sea divers encased in diving gear designed for many fathoms, marching bravely forth with their diving gear to pull plugs out of bathtubs. Here they've got this diving gear that enables them to go a hundred feet below the water and all they'll do is pull a plug out of the bathtub. And you know God is telling us, I'm giving you power to do great things. Matter of fact, Jesus said, greater things than I have done will you do because I go to the Father. What did he mean I go to the Father? I'm going to send the Spirit. And so because I'm going to the Father to send the Spirit, what I've done, greater things than these will you do. It doesn't mean that we're going to do the work of atonement that Jesus did. It means the extent of what we do will be even greater because He's going to the Father to empower us. He was one, the church is many. Notice, did Jesus have boldness? John 6, I'm sorry, John 7 verse 26. But lo, He speaks boldly, and they say nothing to Him. Do the rulers indeed know this is the very Christ? 
His boldness said something about that. You know, I think the gospel would go so much farther if we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us courage. Don't be intimidated by the devil. Our culture today is trying to frighten us away from witnessing. You know, it's, it's everything that's happening in our society and our culture today is designed by the devil to intimidate Christians so that we're afraid to speak up and if you act like you're a Christian that really believes the Bible, uh, you're a pariah. Well, you're not that. But you know what? In their hearts, the world has no answers to offer people. And so you tell them that you found Jesus and that you found joy and you found direction and what you found, they can't argue with that. So don't be afraid to be bold. And another important thing, the Holy Spirit comes to us. We need the Holy Spirit for sealing. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in who you also believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It is your guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit and knowing you have the Holy Spirit is that seal. Pastor Doug, I thought that the seal of God was something in His law. Well, yeah. But obviously those who have the seal of God have the spirit of God. Those who have the mark of the beast have the spirit of the devil. So the first part of the seal of God is the Holy Spirit, right? Amen? Amen. Let me give you another one. You don't sound convinced. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by who you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 1.21 now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God is God. You know, Jesus was the anointed. The one who establishes us in Christ and has anointed us. We get anointed with the Holy Spirit. Who has also sealed us. He's done what? He sealed us with that anointing and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Wouldn't you like to have a card that comes from heaven that says this is your guaranteed admittance to heaven? Would that make you feel a little better? Well, you do. It's right here in your Bible. It's a promise in God's Word. Do you believe it? And he says the Holy Spirit will be there in your mind, in your heart. Now, do you know you have the Holy Spirit because you feel you have the Holy Spirit? Or do you know you have the Holy Spirit because God promised to give you the Holy Spirit and when you believe the promise, then you feel something? I think it's the latter. Don't go like this and say, all right, Lord, please send me the Holy Spirit. Do I feel like I've got the Holy Spirit? You may not feel anything. But if you open the Word and you say, God promises to give His Holy Spirit. Repent. is Acts chapter 2. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of God for the promises unto you. Does that sound like God is promising to give the Holy Spirit to those that repent and are baptized? And so when you believe it, you say, well, He's promised to give me the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And as soon as you believe it, you will feel different. See, we don't get the feeling and then the faith. We have the faith and then the feeling. That was very important. When you have faith, you will feel different. When you believe the promises of God. So He gives it to us to seal us. D.L. Moody, I don't remember if I read this to you last week, Dwight Moody said, God commands us to be filled with His Spirit and if we are not filled with it, it is because we are living beneath our privileges. 
As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are the sons and the daughters of God. Are you led by the Spirit? Can you think of anything more important that we should be praying about every day than to be praying that God gives us His Spirit? Amen? And we need the Holy Spirit for cleansing. Hebrews 9.14 He'll not only convict, He doesn't leave us there convicted. He cleanses and then He commissions. The Holy Spirit will convict us. He cleanses us and then He gives us power and He commissions us to go and to teach others. Have you ever heard before about uh, Betty Nesmith? Betty Nesmith was a secretary in Dallas back in 1956 and she was a good secretary but she was frustrated because before they came out with those IBM correcting typewriters uh, when you made a mistake typing, I don't know if any of you remember the old documents, you would just simply back up and type the right letter over the wrong letter. And sometimes you type it two or three times so there'd be no question. You ever done that? You write some numbers, you say, I got that one wrong, and you kind of scribble and write the right number over the wrong number. Well, she was an artist, and she said, well, an artist paints over their mistakes and they correct it. So she went home to her art studio and she got some white paint, she matched it up with the color of the paper, she got it in watercolors, got it the consistency so it would go on and dry quickly. And whenever she made a mistake typing, she took a little paintbrush, she'd type over that, she'd blow on it a few times, she'd back up after drying, she'd type over it. And, and the other secretary said, that's a great idea, can you bring me a little of that? They saw what she was doing. Her documents always looked much better. Some of the bosses discouraged it. They said, you shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't have paint in the office, and you're painting over letters. And she ignored them. She went to... Um, several uh, marketing firms and says, I've come up with this great invention, I call it Marks Out or something like that, she had a name for it, and they said, no, we're not interested. She even went to IBM. Okay, when the reps came to the office, she said, I've got this invention, it, it, and you just paint it over your mistake, and no, nobody's going to use that, but all the secretaries kept asking for it. So she began out of her kitchen to bottle the stuff and sell it. In 1956, and it just began to grow. And then she bought a shed out back 10 feet by 16 and she began to sell it. And everybody, everybody wanted something that would help fix their mistakes. Finally, they named it whiteout, or liquid paper. Any of you remember liquid paper? How many of you use liquid paper? I also used erasable bond <laughs> back then. And you remember you paint over the little word and you, you're blowing on it, you back up, you type over it again. <laughs> You kids in the computer age, you don't know what in the world we're talking about. <laughs> you just press delete. You don't know how hard it was for us. I remember I was a company clerk in a military school and if I made a mistake on the page, I had to start all over again. And I remember once weeping on the landing of my dorm because I was so frustrated because I kept making mistakes. Liquid paper, praise the Lord. They had this other stuff called erasable bond. Isn't that neat when you could just erase, you make it take an eraser, it would erase the paper. She ended up selling the company, Betty Nesmith, for $47.5 million to the Gillette Corporation. They said nobody's going to use that, but they kept selling it. And a little bit of trivia has nothing to do with my illustration. She had a son named Michael Nesmith that was a member of the Monkees, the singing group. I was a little glint of recognition out there <laughs> of your wasted youth. <laughs> so we need the Holy Spirit for cleansing. 
we make mistakes, you pray. The promise is that if we repent, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Holy Spirit is compared to fire. Acts, they prayed in the spirit. There's a mighty wind. It's like wind. Jesus said the wind blows where it will. It's compared to fire. It came down like tongues of fire because they were given the speaking ability to prophesy. Remember what's what happened when Moses' elders were filled with the spirit? They prophesied. Saul was filled with the spirit. Prophesied. Have you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Greater is he that prophesies and he that speaks with a tongue. They were putting all the emphasis on having the gift of tongues, but he said if you don't say anything, people understand it's useless. But if your prophesy means to not predict the future, it means to share the truth with others. The Holy Spirit is given so we can be his witnesses. Now not everyone's a preacher, but everybody can say something. And the Lord wants us to be able to share what we do know about him. You know, uh, I like using alternate forms of power. Karen and I are exploring putting solar on our house because our air conditioning bill is so bad right now with the heat. Got a Pelton wheel up in Covalo. There's different kinds of water wheels. The old water wheels, they've been using water power for a long time. And they've been using wind power for a long time. You've seen the, uh, the windmills there in the Netherlands. And you've heard of the water wheels that they would use to turn the grist mills for grinding the wheat. You've probably seen some beautiful pictures of the water mills. Now there's two kinds of water mills. They've got what they call the undershot and they got the overshot. Undershot water wheel is the water wheel is in a creek and as a creek runs by underneath it turns the wheel as it's running by. It pushes on the bottom of the wheel. But the most powerful water wheel is the overshot where a waterfall lands on top of the water wheel and the weight of the water which is very heavy, pushes it down, it has a lot more power than the undershot water wheel. It's just the current. Most people and even most Christians go through light and it's the undershot power. What we need is the power that comes from above. We need that overshot power. A lot of people think we're getting along okay because you can do a lot with that lower power and it can just be enough of the Spirit to fool us into thinking we've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But before Jesus comes the promise is I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, also upon my handmaidens in those days and my servants I will pour, it out, pour out of my Spirit. God before Jesus comes again He wants to pour out His Spirit. See when He came the first time there was the former reign of his spirit to launch the church and to begin it growing and spreading around the world. Before he comes again there's going to be what they call the latter reign of the Holy Spirit that's going to prepare for the harvest. Now I don't know what are we supposed to be doing? Is God looking at a calendar wondering not yet, not yet when I reach this certain date on the calendar and when my clock registers and the alarm goes off then it'll be time for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So are we waiting on God to send the latter rain or is it possible heaven's waiting on us to ask for it? And God wants to send it. He is more anxious to give the Holy Spirit to us than we are to give good gifts to our children to them that Jesus said ask him. How did Elisha get a double portion? Elijah said you've asked for a big thing. Did he get what he asked for? Does God want to give us the Holy Spirit? 
It might mean a deep, heart-searching ask. You got a trivial ask and you got a serious ask. And we need to seriously knock and seek and ask and He will give us the Spirit, but there's nothing we need more and we must have it to get to the Kingdom and I won't be satisfied until I know I have the fullness of His Spirit. Isn't that what you want?